We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. Yes, this is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. The lights have nearly fallen over Paul and electrocuted him. Yes, we've overcome that. Uh, This is the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. I, of course, am Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist. With me, as always, Paul the Twelfth. Greetings, Earthlings. And also, was the beer sponsor. G'day, listeners. So, dear listener, good news. A couple of weeks' time, we're going to have Scott back on. More about that at at a later date. So... Yay, Scott. Mm. Looking forward to it. So this is episode 258, and uh, we're coming up to a five-year anniversary, I was just mentioning, in a couple of weeks' time. So before we go on with tonight's topics, in case I forget, next week, no guarantee of a podcast. I'm away, and I'm not sure what I'll be doing. So um, if there is one, it may even be on Monday rather than on Tuesday. So um, all a bit up in the air for next week. So but definitely the week after that, we'll be back to celebrate five years. So mm. there we go. Right, um, well, we've spent a lot of time, Paul, over the years talking about, um, well, let, actually before we get on to the sort of all the issues of the statues being torn down and, and um, movies and books being banned and all the rest of it, got some feedback last week because we did our, uh, we talked about Indigenous incarceration and I thought we did our best to be really fair and as best we could, give an honest interpretation of what we thought was going on. Got some feedback from a lot of people, um, maybe a handful actually, that was very positive. People said, really good episode, really enjoyed it, thanks very much. Only one negative feedback, which was from Graham, who's a patron, who Mm. said, disappointed that you indulged in a popular pastime of whitefellas of making sweeping generalisations about Australian Aboriginals without actually involving an Australian Aboriginal. Do better next time, please, Trevor. Ang- angry face. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Graham, that really pissed me off, Graham. And you know when you get um, like you get angry and you want to, if you're going to fire off an email and they say, <laughs> just sleep on it overnight and don't send it straight away. Just think about it, and then if you're still angry, then send Good it. Advice. Sort of thing. I'm still angry. <laughs> <laughs> Have you sent the email? No, yet? but I guess this is the chance now to sort of talk about some of the issues because it's it's not so much my personal thin skin, which is thin, but it's more about the issues involved that is the important part. So, um, so really, Graham seems to be suggesting that our podcast was unbalanced and we needed to give time to alternative views from the Aboriginal perspective. I think is what he's hinting at, mm-hmm. or maybe that there are issues here which we couldn't possibly understand because we don't have the lived experience of being Indigenous. could be either of those things or both of those things. So um, dealing with um, first part is the whole sort of stereotypical Indigenous viewpoint of what's going on in terms of incarceration and, and the plight of Indigenous Australians that stereotypical view is pretty well out there, I would have thought, from Q&A and multiple ABC programs and Guardian articles and 
essays and even right-wing papers where Noel Pearson and others get to have their say on what they think is going on in the world. So I don't think there's a lack of people knowing what that view is in terms of the traditional stereotypical version of what Indigenous people think about the incarceration rates and whatever. So really what we were saying about culture is not a view that you hear anywhere. So when it's it, certainly not a view that you hear from most of the Indigenous spokespeople, is it? I haven't heard it from anybody. They mm. scrupulously avoid mm. uh, making any reference to any causality in their mm. culture, yeah. don't they? Except for um, Jacinta Price, of course. Yeah. So, so our discussion was really a response to what's already been said. Mm. And um, so really, and that sort of ideas that we were giving, I don't think it's airtime. So... Um, I don't have any problem with what we did that way. And we actually did call for listeners to zoom in and push back. And um, and I actually thought that Paul, who zoomed in, was going to give a lot more pushback than what he did because based on his previous correspondence with me about Dark Emu, I thought he was going to. So, you know, Graham, we called for anybody to zoom in and whether they were black, white or brindle, they could have. Um and all we got was Paul, who mostly agreed with our position, although he's since said he would have added to it if he'd sort of listened to the first part a bit more. So um, here's the real thing that I want to say is, though, um, uh, suggesting an Aboriginal guest, I reckon, is insulting to Indigenous people at one level because it assumes all Indigenous people think the same in some way. Um, if I invited Jacinta Price... You know, Graham may have said, well, not that sort of Aboriginal in terms of inviting somebody on. I don't know. But the sort of the implication you didn't invite an Aboriginal was, well, are they going to give you this common view of the Aboriginal person that you're missing out on or are they going to give you one of any number of views that you've already canvassed in the various things that you've been quoting? I just, I really reject that idea that somebody can speak on behalf of the Indigenous population as if, as if they all think the same way. Mm. So I, I wouldn't pretend to speak on behalf of white people's views on anything because I know that they would have a multitude of views on things. So, True. Um, so there's that. Um, what else have I got here? Um, um, oh, so there's an open invitation. If you do know somebody, Graham, or anybody out there who is Indigenous or non-Indigenous but wants to push back against what we said then there's an open invitation, make contact, we'll have you on. I think you have mm. in the past tried to contact Just Enterprise, haven't you? Uh, I did once, but I didn't push it. But Because one of the reasons why is I figure she gets her viewpoint out there. Like She does. If people yeah. want to know it, they'll know it. But um, my point is if somebody's going to come on, then um, they've got to argue the issues we've raised and the positions we've taken and simply saying – you're a white fella and you're blinded by your privilege, um, that's not good enough. That's not going to get us anywhere. So um, it might sound arrogant, but the ideas that we put forward in that episode are not what you hear everywhere, and I want people to address those ideas. So if you know somebody, black, white or polka dot, who wants to counteract those ideas, we'll talk to them. But they can't just say, oh, I'm black, you're white, you wouldn't know because you're just privileged. I'm just not interested in that conversation. I imagine that invitation extends to Graham himself. Yeah, indeed. And have in, a chat. Indeed. Um, 
And as for sweeping generalisations, well, when you talk about culture, you're generalising about people uh, and groups of people. Yeah, you can't possibly cover every possible uh, variation of individual opinion. Indeed. In a given, if you like, ethnic group or, you know, physical type. Yes. Which is pretty well irrelevant anyway. So, you know, sweeping generalisations is what we're all about here. Because, (laughs) I mean, that's what we do is make sweeping generalisations. everybody does because it's the only way you can really uh, talk about anything. That's right. In a a general sense. Any study of society course, like the one we're conducting, is going to have sweeping generalisations. If you don't like sweeping generalisations, stop watching or listening (laughs) to this podcast. That's that's what you're going to get. Of course there'll be exceptions. Of course there are individuals who don't fit the mould. Yeah. Of course. It goes without saying that there will be people who are outliers in, in any event. So. Were you also offended that Graham suggested you were just another average Aussie with average Aussie opinions? <laughs> I mean, I, whatever that is. Um, you know? I, I don't know about that so much. But um, I do want to say this, though, that having uh, – an Indigenous heritage wouldn't necessarily make somebody a valuable commentator on Indigenous social trends. So a few weeks ago we were going to invite a Chinese lady Mm. to discuss China in our China episode and Mm. she admitted later when she listened to it that we knew a lot more about Chinese history than what she did Mm. to some extent. So Mm -hmm. just... um, you know, I'm not American, but I'm convinced I've got a deeper understanding about America's place in the world than a lot of Americans do. Indeed. Mm. Um, and um, so an individual Indigenous person uh, would no doubt be able to offer anecdotes of their life experience as things have happened to them, mm. but is not necessarily capable of insightful advice on Indigenous social trends mm. like if they've had a fairly insular life with their own family mm. and haven't done a broad reading of the general trends in their own culture, they could be completely oblivious to lots of things, as many white people are to white social trends. As people are everywhere. Yeah. Just being black won't make you an expert. Indeed. Mm. Um, so uh, so I make that point and without really banging on, I'm going to skip over a few of the things that I said Um Oh, just, um, you know, we've spoken about um, lots of groups. We speak about Chinese, Americans, um, communist, capitalists. We very, very, very rarely invite anybody on, but Mm. um, we bag Christians all the time. (laughs) And you have had had a Christian on, on. yes, Yes, one. Um, Yeah. So... um, so just because we didn't invite Indigenous people on, but Graham, were you? did you think to yourself on those other occasions when we spoke about other groups, did you think to yourself, why don't they have a Chinese person on? You're talking about China all the time. Why don't you have a or is it just because mm-hmm. you've got a particular feeling about Indigenous people that they're somehow victims more so than others and are especially deserving of a, a voice that you didn't feel applied in those other cultural groups. Mm. It's just interesting that you chose this one as when we've generalised about all sorts of cultural groups mm. but we, we don't have them on. Um, I find that sort of interesting. And and the other thing is, uh, just going back to Christians as an, as an example, um, I mean, who would know more about the origins of the Bible, you know, 
us or your average Christian? It's a great point, Trevor. Yes. And I'm sure you, you mm. would agree. And, and you have taken mm. a great interest in Christianity and read a lot about it. Mm. I have the same. I often find when I meet Christians and start talking about it, I know actually more about religion than they do. Yes. Yes. And even more about Christianity than they do. Indeed, indeed. So, um, so we did a whole podcast on the origins of the Bible, and no one complained that there were no Christians. Um, so, and if you were to ask a Christian about their lived experience, many would tell of a tale of persecution that has no resemblance to reality. Many of them would talk about, you know, the marriage equality laws, abortion laws, other secular laws would be described by Christians as an affront and an mm. insult to them and their God. Indeed. Now, would they be right? I mean, it's their lived experience mm. as a Christian as they would testify to us, yep. but that doesn't necessarily make it right. Objectively, it doesn't make it, it true, does Indeed. It? Just because it comes from the mouth of somebody who has that identity, doesn't mean it's actually correct. The ideas are up for debate. This is, a, this is really a theme, isn't it, mm. in, the, in the current era yes. of people who think that uh, feelings are uh, more valid than facts, you know, mm. and that it's the lived experience which is what you really have to understand, yes. not the objectively observed experience. Yes, and the ideas that are presented. Exactly. Yeah, yeah just... Who it comes from seems to be more important. So we're not the first media group to be criticised because the insiders got criticised. So um, ABC Insiders did a a discussion on, you know, the same sort of topic and they didn't have any Indigenous person present as part of their panel. Uproar from people. effrontery of the ABC. That's that's right. So the (laughs) next week they got on um, an Indigenous spokesperson who was Bridget Brennan who is their uh, ABC Europe correspondent, um, previously or maybe currently based in London. She was previously the ABC's Mm. National Indigenous Affairs Correspondents um, covering Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander affairs across Australia, and she's worked as a reporter in Sydney, Melbourne, Darwin and Hong Kong. Now, she was on uh, this week, wasn't she, right. on, on Sunday, on the last edition of The Insiders? Probably, to make up for the fact she wasn't, they didn't have anybody the previous week. So she, it was sort of like as a... I'm pretty a, sure that was her. I'm, I'm not 100%. Probably would have been. So here's where we get into some tricky territory. Um, she seemed to me to have been brought up by her mother and she admitted that she didn't have a lot of contact with her culture and felt some disconnection with it that she only managed to achieve later in life, kind of reading between the lines, once she got the job at the ABC and started as an ah. Indigenous affairs reporter and managed to connect with her culture and travel around the country and whatnot. She's travelled the world as a correspondent. Like mm. When we're talking about um, being able to understand Indigenous, um, I couldn't understand because of my privilege. Mm. Is she any less privileged than me is the question. Doesn't sound like it. Just because you've got dark skin, if you've led a life of privilege totally alien to an Indigenous person living in a camp on a scrubby creek in a remote part of Australia, like are you you that much closer to them than what I am really? Um, as, as it, but it, that seemed to assuage all of the problems that um, 
that we're in, oh, we, okay, you've got your Indigenous spokesperson now, you've kind of ticked off the box. But really her lived experience, if that's what's important, Hmm. was nowhere near close enough to the truly disadvantaged life of an Indigenous person that's going to end up in jail, it seemed to me. And, in fact, there would be some white people who would probably have a lot more personal experience Mm. with Indigenous people than some Indigenous people. Indeed. And I I was following a... It's about class. Yeah. Yeah. I was following an online forum discussion recently and... And it was there was some discussion of Indigenous uh, matters and there was a woman who was contributing to the discussion and uh, she was a white woman and people were saying to her, you know, what would you know? And she said, well, I married an Indigenous man and I've got Indigenous kids and, right. you know, cousins and uncles and aunts and lived in that community yes. with Indigenous people for probably, you know, 20, 30 years or something. Yes. So she said, yeah, actually I do know what I'm talking about. Yes. And yeah. fair enough too. Yeah, yeah. So Good point. So anyway, uh, all those points. So it all comes down to identity politics, which is what we've been railing against from way back in the beginning. Like with this podcast, we, we sort of started off looking at religion and promoting mm-hmm. secular ideas, but it very quickly became apparent that we had to get our heads around the ideas of identity politics because they were being used by Christian groups as much as others and it's something we've been talking about for a long time. So identity politics emphasises the identity of the speaker as opposed to the merit of their ideas. It superficially objects to racism but it entrenches it by ascribing value to something based on the race of the speaker. And that's necessarily going to lead to a a backlash as the white majority adopts the same identity strategy and identifies as white people, invariably as white nationalists, unfortunately, it seems to be. Um, So it's a really deeply flawed way of looking at the world and a way of judging and a way of arguing and a way of debating to be saying who's making this statement, what's the colour of their skin, you can ask who is it as in what are their qualifications, what have they studied, who's paying them, what funny donations have they received, what what inherent biases might be there, but ultimately um, what's the idea? Yeah. Is the idea of merit or not? So that's what's important. Wouldn't you think it was the bleeding obvious? So, I mean, why haven't all these people who claim that realised that, you know, what you look look like on the outside doesn't determine Mm. what what happens on the inside of your head? Yeah. So just to finish off with Graham's um, complaint is, Graham, I probably spent about 16 to 20 hours preparing that podcast. Like there was a lot of prep in that, more than this podcast, this particular episode, but there was a lot in that. And I spent about five years practising my delivery on that (laughs) as well. And if I was to try and find an Indigenous spokesperson, um, organise them to come on, research what they're about, um, uh, involve them in the discussion, that probably would have added another 15 to 20 hours in there. Mm. I'm doing this part-time, mate. Um, I don't have it, so I don't have that time. So I can't do any better and you need to lower your expectations. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. There's my winch. Do you feel better? I do. I got that off my chest. That's good. Yeah, yeah I do. Good. Yeah. So um, um, gentlemen, the thought police are out. Indeed. Worldwide. Um, 
We've got a few different things. We've got removing of television shows and movies from mm. sort of back catalogues. We've got removing statues and tearing them down. Yep. And we've got mass displays of contrition with footballers kneeling at the beginning of games. I- I've talked enough. Some, you know, oh. Feel free to grab any one of those ideas and, and run with it in your, in your thoughts. Do you think, yeah. Yeah. Um, my thoughts is where's it going to stop? You know, they're, they're tearing down statues and they're um, taking TV shows off the air. Like, do we rename mountain ranges? Do we They've already done rename it suburbs? Australia. Do we rename parks or even street names? Like, what? The where, King Leopold Ranges. Where do we draw the line right. on all of this? In Western Australia are going to be renamed. Are they? Yeah. Right. Mm. Right. Yep. Yeah, but you're right. Where does it stop? You know, I mean, what if, what if, just hypothetically, mm. someone discovered that John Utzon, mm. the designer of the Sydney Opera House, mm. had been a rabid racist? What do we do? We tear it down? Mm. No. No, I'll, it'd be, be a bit of a world but, shame. But if it was the, to if, leave if it, it was, I'll play devil's. Let me play devil's advocate. Yeah. Okay, if it was the Jorn Utzon Opera House, would we just change it to the Sydney Opera House? Though, having discovered that he was a bad of bad character. Well, it's already just the Sydney Opera House. I know. But I mean, yeah, mm. yeah. But now, I mean, yeah. as as Warren said, where yeah. does it stop? But a lot of this comes to naming of things. We did one years ago, um, just outside of. I think it was Ipswich, there was a stadium called the Nigger Brown Stadium. That's right, yes. Yes. That was a big deal, wasn't it? How do you it? feel about that one? That was renamed because... I haven't got a problem with the nigger music. word. I'm not right. even going to say the N-word. Okay, right. So you, <laughs> you, already said you would have left late. the stadium unchanged, uh, the name of it. Yeah, I would have okay. left it. All right. I would have too, to be honest, because right. I, again, don't think words carry any inherent power. It's only the power we give them. It's yeah, a, because the, it's a purely symbolic system language mm. and it only has the meaning that that we give it, you know? Words have a generally accepted meaning though. They do, but meanings also change and mm. the value of words change like, you know, yes. prick and cunt and things yeah. like that. Yes, but at a certain time a word has a certain meaning and you can't get around that. So it's a quite a demeaning word at, in the current time, it's yeah. a very demeaning word. Depends on who says it. Y- yes. If a black man says it to another black man, then mm. it's okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. What do you and, think? That, and again, that's context and meaning. But so it's for not a, the word, it's who's well, saying it. Well, it is the word. In, in the word. It's a word in a context. Like words always mm. have a context. But look, mm. it's I also think it's on... the intent. You know, if you're using the intent to demean somebody, don't use it yeah. that yeah. way. But if but you're the just person it was named after having wasn't a, a conversation anyway, about the was word, it? Was, it a, was it a black person? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. You sure? Uh, yes. Yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was. Well, you're probably yeah. right, but yeah. I, I'm just not sure. Yeah. Look, what about. Uh, you'd have to look at the details of that. It's probably yeah. how he referred to himself as oh, well. Look, he may well have. And, but, and, and at that time, when that was done, it was mm. within the. Uh, boundaries of what was it's socially acceptable, acceptable. Mm. but but we can, uh, you know, what is socially acceptable does change That's over time. Right. Well, so people, in the future, you yeah. know, um, eating animals might be deemed to be socially unacceptable. So, are they going to tear down the statue of every non-vegan person? In, <laughs> indeed, and, might have to. <laughs> and at a certain time, you know, we look at the forefathers of America and whatever in terms of slavery, and to some extent, you cut them some slack because you go. Well, everyone was doing it. Like, the, mm. you, there's a difference between being a slave trader 
300 years ago exactly. and being a slave trader today, there's a different level of culpability yes. to mm. it. Um, so, you know. What about I mean, books? I mean, because recently, in recent years in the United right. States, there have been schools right. that have withdrawn certain very, very famous popular yeah. Uh, yeah. books yeah. like Huckleberry Finn, yeah. which used the word nigger regularly, yeah. apparently. Yeah. And, yes, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. So. Um, which was a fantastic novel. Yes. Did you read it? Of course. Every, every high school student in Queensland read To Kill a Mockingbird. Well, I didn't grow Blazing up in Saddles. Blazing <laughs> Saddles used to use, you know, use the That's word right. nigger a yeah. lot yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. We'll Let me play. To- can I play the devil's advocate? Oh, yeah. I'm- what if your granddaughter's watching the Cosby show at some point in the future? Trevor, are you going right. to rush in and turn it off? Or uh, Well, there's a difference between things that are public and things that are private. Like on the ch- in the chat room, Wheat Watcher says, I'd be happy if they could ban Mrs. Brown's boys from TV. A lot of things, it's up to you whether you want to watch it or not. Um, but, for example... If you're going to the football at Ipswich and you said, uh, and they said, oh, where, what time and where is it? Oh, it's three o'clock at the Nigger Brown Stadium. You're forced to use that word. You know what I mean? Mm. Whereas nobody's forcing you to, uh, what was the program you're talking Cosby about? Cosby Show. Cosby Show. Like that's, that's there for somebody mm. to watch or not watch. You're not mm. forced to use that if you don't want to. When it comes to the names of public places, you are forced to use those, mm. I think, to some extent. So, there's my mm. distinction there. Mm. So let's deal with, with the Nigger Brown studio and okay. just say, um, stadium, and just say, I think that's one where times change. That's a really potent word. That's one that I think legitimately you say, mm. let's not use that word and we'll find another name for it. Yep. I had a conversation several years ago with a couple of friends. Are you going to agree with me or disagree with me on that one? Well, I'll just, you're, make, you're just, not I'll just make a point about how this. <sighs> What would you say the social unacceptability of words? Mm. It it creeps through people's minds, and you know, some people even, you know, I, I was talking to a couple of friends, a couple of female friends, uh, both um, white women, one American, one Australian, mm. in Japan of all places. Nobody in earshot mm. would have probably even understood our conversation, let alone been offended by anything we said. And we started talking about racism and language and things like that. And I said, oh, yeah, and, you know, what about, you know, when people say the word nigger? And I didn't use it in any kind of insulting manner at all. I used it as an example of language. Like we're doing now. Like Mm. we're doing now. Yeah. And both of them, their jaws dropped and they looked at me and Mm. they were like, oh, Mm. you said that word. Mm. And I was like, what's wrong? And they were like, Oh, Paul, you know, don't you know how bad that word is? That makes you a terrible human being, Paul. Well, I was just like, I was like, really? Yeah. You know? There's a major executive of a Mature adults can't even talk about language? There was a major executive of a big US company who was sacked and he was in a meeting where he was basically saying, don't use the nigger word. And they said, (gasps) he got sacked. (laughs) And if he'd have said, don't use the, it was in a context of of saying, don't use that word. Cancel culture. Yeah. Uh, in the chat room, Wheat Watcher says Edwin Brown was a fair-skinned and called N. Brown, because, potentially due to it was his... It a nickname. It was an ironic Potentially nickname. due to his favour of a particular variety of shoe polish, oh, okay. according to Wikipedia. So, so there was a, a shoe polish brand 
uh, in favour of something like that. See, this, a, this was, was there what a I was getting shoe at. polish or something. Yeah. I had yeah. a feeling it was a, an oh. ironic nickname. Right, yes. Mm. But even then, ironic or not, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very potentially, as you've just demonstrated, a highly charged word that is. is one that I think we could do without. Okay. Um, but it does get tricky as words mm. change over time and and standards change over time. So um, statues. Well, we should be having a conversation about it, you know, and some statues maybe should be brought down, but not in the way that they're being brought down and defaced at the moment. It shouldn't be a vigilante person or group that decides this statue needs to come down. We live in a democracy and we should go about it in a, democratic way we should have a Absolutely. adult conversation about a particular statue and say well is it okay that that's still you know is there or should we replace it with something else and then if the consensus is to replace it well then we'll replace it but mm. the way we're going about it at the moment in many parts of the world is Certain individuals and groups are just taking it upon themselves you, to smash got, them down. You've got something against mob rule? <laughs> uh, I'm just a fan of democracy. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. We could have all voted and said, hey, let's look at all the statues in the, in the, in the area mm. and decide mm. what we want to... But also, too, I'd, I'd like to see people be more pro-stuff mm. than anti-stuff. Right. You know, if erect a statue to someone who mm. you admire rather than bring down a statue of someone... Yeah. Who you think was an asshole? Mm. Yeah, but I think that's a, that's a much more positive way of going about things. You know, a, put up statues of people you love rather than yeah. demand that statues of people you don't necessarily love be. Do you think it's taken an attempt down? of these mobs to cleanse us of impure thoughts? Do you think that's what it's about? Look. Uh, no, um, I don't think so. No, there's I mean, a... reminders. You know, if you see a statue of um, Hitler, for example, it makes you think about Hitler. Mm. And Hitler I think it's was frustration. A person, so you shouldn't be thinking about Hitler. I think or it's frustration in these in these individuals and these groups. They feel powerless, but then when they bring down a statue, they feel like they've accomplished something. Mm. Um, Paul in the chat room. Um, Paul, did you miss the first 10 minutes again, just based on your comment? Did you, just if you could confirm before you made that comment. Um, I think I can remember with the Soviet Union, with the, with the downfall, and there were all these statues of former Soviet leaders, and I've got the feeling I can remember that they put them all in a park somewhere, like a, as a park of statues, mm. rather than have them torn down. And yeah. uh, But then rather than kind of pretending to celebrate these figures, mm. they... They gathered them all together and put them in the one location so that mm. they were still historical monuments. I, and I thought that was a pretty fair yeah. way of dealing with it because that's a potential you, you don't solution. Really that's want, a way better solution. Yeah, you just, don't really want you know statues of Stalin in major intersections. I think that in, and, in Georgia, where mm. Stalin was from, I think mm. they actually still have some statues of Stalin. Right. Um, yep. Because he was a local boy, you know. Right. He did well. <laughs> right. Paul says guilty as charged. He missed the first 10 minutes again. So, all right, Paul. <laughs> Come on, Paul. Paul, you've tried to keep up. Yeah. You've done it again. Yeah, because I just went into that, Paul. But anyway. Um, so, yeah, so I tell you, it has highlighted some character flaws in these historical figures, though, for mm-hmm. me. Like, right. as someone who's learning a lot about history recently, mm-hmm. um, 
I had no idea Churchill did some of the things that he did. He's a terrible racist. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I just – he was yeah. someone who I held in a very high esteem. Right. Um, yeah. And I only sort of knew him for all the good things that he did with his life. And it has provided a balance for me and it has brought the truth out. Um, there's probably a better way of going about, you know, highlighting some of the negative aspects of mm. Churchill's life. But, but, but mm. are people irredeemably, you know – wrecked if they make a mistake or do something that we now think is bad early in their lives because Churchill goes right back to the Boer War, I think, doesn't he, in his uh, involvement with the British government. And he was certainly uh, deeply involved in the First World War and the Gallipoli campaign. Well, Gallipoli, yeah. Mm. He had a checkered history. Checkered. Yes. That's Um, one way of putting it. Yes. So, But do we not sort of say, well, you know, he made up for it in the 1940s <laughs> yes, by, you know, helping Britain to, to survive the I think you just paid an, an accurate picture of, of his life and you, you, you highlight both the good and the bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you expect your historical figures to be perfect, then mm. there won't be any statues of anybody. <laughs> Except for us when they build statues of us because we're pretty perfect. Good point. I don't right. think anyone will no, find a reason no, to bring No, I made, a mistake. I made a mistake about funding. <laughs> yeah, the other week, so I'm, I'm, there goes my statue. It's down <laughs> the toilet. It's in the, straight yeah, in the just middle. Just be Scott Warren that was, and I. Then. Uh, admirable humility last week, Trevor. Well what, done. What, what else have we got? Oh, here's the other one I found was interesting. Oh, Books. You want to talk about books? Yes. Well, no. I mean, we mentioned uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. That was a fantastic book. That was mm. so influential in my life. Mm. And I read that, I think, when I was about uh, 13, 14, 15, something like that. I don't mm. remember. It had a profound impact mm. on my thinking about race, mm. specifically about the United States and, and their history with racism. Mm. That really, really influenced my view of how terrible and how unjust uh, the treatment of um, black Africans was in the United States, you know? Yes. And just because it's using the terminology of the day. Exactly. And a stereotype black made, in, in, yes. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that yes. respect. I'm sure it has influenced literally tens or hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people in their attitudes to that particular issue. Mm. I, have you read Huckleberry Finn? I mean, that was really a kid's book. Mm. That used the word nigger quite a lot apparently. I haven't right. checked, but yep. I, did, I did go to the trouble of buying a copy before it was sort of banned from the printing right, press, right. you know. Yes. So have, they haven't banned those books, though, have they? Just They've taken, taken them out of a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of primary school, school libraries, libraries and a lot of reading lists and school libraries. So they haven't just taken nigger out of it? They've, no. no, the entire they took the whole book out. Uh, yeah. yeah, different times, yeah. Wow. So. But, you know, Huckleberry Finn wasn't really a racist book. It was a book about, you know, white kids and black kids I don't think I've doing read stuff it. together, wasn't it? I, I don't think I've read it. So, oh. yeah. All right, I'll I'll have a look at it okay. and uh, get back to you. <laughs> All right. Mm. Yeah. Um, just on sort of book burning and and censorship, we've mentioned this before, way back in episode two hundred and eleven, um, nineteen eighty four by George Orwell, mm. um, warned of how language could be corrupted and weaponized, and that was really um, that was one idea. Um, there was a book called Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury uh, and it was about book burning. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And there was also another um, one was uh, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Yes, another great book. Mm. All of them about the future dystopian censorship control sort of issues, um, Orwell feared um, those who would ban books, sort of from the state, top-down sort of control by the state. And also it was a rewriting of history exactly. as well. It wasn't just banning books. Yes. It was about banning words, yes. banning ideas. Because yes. in the book he and says... Erasing history exactly. and replacing it with something else. Erasing mm. the tools that people use to formulate ideas. Yes. And Huxley feared that there would be no reason to ban a book because no one would want to read one because he was thinking they were in this sort of... Um, world where people just didn't care to read books, like mm-hmm. they were on... Um, Soma. <laughs> yes, indeed. So they just wouldn't care. You wouldn't have to ban a book because yeah. people wouldn't actually be bothered wanting to read one. And the one that gets overlooked is Fahrenheit 451. It's called that because that is the temperature at which... Paper book, ignites or something. burns, yeah. supposedly yeah. Fahrenheit 451. Is it true? Have you ever checked I don't that? know. I don't know about that. But in that book, the interesting thing is it is the people themselves who burn the books. Mm. It doesn't come from the state. Mm. It is a groundswell of people banning. Like, like uh, the statue topless. And this today is actually, this isn't a top-down thing from government, mm. uh, this, this sort mm. of censorship. This is really a grassroots of a certain segment of society, but it's not, it's not Orwellian in the mm. sense of a state-imposed Censorship. Good point. This this is coming from within. This is the thing to consider about. Yes, but it's coming from a certain segment of society. It's not coming from the absolute sort of bottom. Of course not. Society, but it's not coming from the state. This isn't being forced top down. It's coming from the intelligentsia. Well, and and the so-called chattering classes. (laughs) It's certainly coming from grassroots of some form. I think we can trace its origins, and I've read a little bit about this, I'm sure you have too, but what I've gleaned is that it comes from uh, postmodernism, starting in roughly the 1960s maybe, but certainly picking up momentum in the 1980s and 90s among certain uh, postmodern-type academics, you know, uh, fourth-wave feminists, People who think, you know, that the West is so terribly, irredeemably corrupted that it has to be destroyed. Right. And that's the origin of it. Yes, but isn't postmodernism also that idea that there is no right answer? It all depends on your perspective. Yes. And that's part of your own personal truth. That's part of it. But it, it also includes this idea that the West is so. Irredeemably bad. Right. It has to be torn down. Right. And some and replaced with something else. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And this is what they're doing. You know, they're tearing down the you know the artifacts of our civilization, mm. or well, some of them anyway. Mm. So um, Churchill statue shouldn't remain. I mean, he's former prime minister of the. He was a significant, a significant historical figure, and he had he, he had more flaws than most people. But I think we can afford to have a statue of him uh, here and there in in London. Wouldn't you think? Um, the guy who was like just a, seemingly just a slave trader who was a rich merchant who was sort of the first one thrown in the river. Oh, in uh, um, Colston, Colston, yeah, something like that. What's the city? Uh, so, Bristol, right? Mm. Um, so 
But he was also a um, philanthropist. He wasn't right. just a slave trader. He apparently right. built schools and right. hospitals and things like that. Right, know? from money gain from yes. slave trading. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think slave trading was right. likely his only business, but right. it was one of them. Yeah. You know. I don't know. I think with these things, I like the, the sort of Soviet Union answer to these things is when somebody falls out of favour, then maybe put their statue in some sort of um, gallery of rogues in a special <laughs> park somewhere. So... Um, Did you have any uh, reaction when you saw the statue of Saddam Hussein being torn down during the war? I mean, it was a, it, it was a iconic image, wasn't it, of these mm. Iraqis and Americans helping them yes. pulling down this huge statue of Saddam Hussein. Yes. I was in America at the time. Um, I, I didn't I didn't have a rash reaction myself, but I, I observed a, mm. a massive reaction in the people that I was surrounded by. Well, oh, really? Fully understandable mm. by the locals. I mean, you've been mm. yeah. He was a an absolute piece of work, wasn't right. he? That so time? if they're really bad, it's okay to tear down the statue. Well, I don't know. I mean, what it do you depends think? on your thought, doesn't it? Like if they're if they're an, an evil dictator, then then all's fair. Is that? It's always a question of degree and context in these things. Yeah, he probably just have had, an adult conversation he, about it. He probably like. didn't have any uh, redeemable features at all, Saddam Hussein. Mm. Like at least with Churchill you could say, well, he was instrumental in winning the war. Can we say anything positive about Saddam Hussein? What um, about uh, he, he Mao kept, Zedong? He kept everybody in line? Or? What about Mao Zedong? Yes. His portrait is still up there. Right. In uh, Tiananmen Square. Yes. Yep. They haven't torn it down and mm. he did some terribly brutal stuff. Mm. But, of course, he hasn't been... Uh, what you, what's the word? Yeah. Um, Destatued. No, yeah, that's I can't it. think of the word I want yeah. now. Yeah. Um, uh, Paul in the chat room says, reference needed for 12th man's definition of postmodernism. Paul, we do this stuff on the fly, mate, like we can't provide <laughs> references along the way, but, um, you know, happy to take um, advice from you and we'll talk about postmodernism at another Put time. In the show notes. Yeah, we can, we can talk about it another time. Uh, one I wanted to get to was um, uh, mass displays of contrition. Um, the football is kneeling prior to a football match. Um, cringeworthy. I just, I I just think, think you've, you've, you've forced a bunch of footballers to make a political statement. Yeah. And... Mm. That's what not and, the, what they're there for. And yes, they're there to play, to, football, to play football, to demonstrate their amazing athletic and, skills and, and prowess. And what if they disagreed, but they didn't want to actually make a big song and dance about it? Peer what pressure. were they to do? Mm. They, they don't. They didn't really have a choice. It, was did in, they? it would be impossible to make a silent objection to mm. that process if you just mm. stood there and said, "Look, I'm, I, I'm not saying I agree or disagree. I refuse to be a political." Porn in this whole procedure, and I'm just going to stand here. You couldn't have, like, it just Mm. that was sort of the red guard, the sort of um, uh, re education Mm. process. The um, what was the shaming sort of word we used used last week? Um, Struggle session, struggle session, almost struggle session. (laughs) Just, I just think if you're a young man and you'd really disagreed, you (sighs) had no chance of of doing it. Of a silent, you're just forced of your, into of that. your own volition. Yeah, yeah. you, you could. You're, you're going to be you're dragged into your it. club, aren't you? You're going to be in dra- that sort of situation. So yeah. your actions aren't really your own. The, your, your club has decided you're an employee of that club. Yeah, but when you signed up to be a footballer, nobody ever said, "Oh, by the way, we've got 
these political ideas that we expect you to participate in. They, mm. they, they say we expect you to just keep your, yourself clean, mm. don't get into trouble and keep your head down and don't cause us embarrassment, yeah. mm. play football. This but, is but, the insidious but, nature of this current, uh, you know, set mm. of ideas that's yep. sweeping through the community. Yeah. Isn't it? So like in Israel Folau. I was going to bring up Israel Folau. So he puts his head up and says, yeah. I want to talk about these issues and yeah. I'm going to be proactively saying this stuff. Yeah. And then the football club says, well, hang on. What? Yeah. That's quite Keep different to down. a young footballer who might have been, well, I don't really agree with this, but well, I don't disagree do? with if it I, If I just stand up straight and don't kneel, the mm. frigging world is going to fall down on me. So, mm. um, uh, so by not doing something, it's actually doing something. Yeah, and you couldn't just be quiet and silent about it. So there we go. They would probably be accused of mm. uh, white privilege or something like that. So, I do um, so. so, yeah, so two different issues there. So, um, right, um, people just get things mucked up as well in terms of like faulty towers. Mm. Um, don't, don't mention, mention the, the Germans. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the whole idea of that show was to portray this asshole Basil Fawlty who had all the foibles and nasty elements of a stuck-up British Mm. guy who thought he was way better than he was. It's poking fun at him rather than at the Germans. So in that situation, Netflix has banned it a a particular... It Mm. it hasn't been banned out. It was just that one episode. You know, they Mm. didn't ban the whole series. It wasn't a very long series. And it it went back on. It was the sort of ban Mm. was lifted or whatever. But um, and Gone with the Wind was temporarily withdrawn from streaming services, but reinstated Mm. by Netflix. I think it was. Mm. Uh, And they said that they're going to reinstate it, but put a warning at the beginning of it, warning that you know it might uh, depict. but isn't that Seems isn't that their right to choose what they air? Like, of course it is. It's a private company. Yeah. Of course it is, but should a private company like that be subject to the sort of whims of you know uh, the the mob, you know? I think for example, if we talk about the BBC and its back catalog, mm. like then that's a different story, different, yeah. yeah. Well, the BBC also uh, withdrew several other programs, didn't they? Uh, uh, the League of Gentlemen, I think, was one. Right. Have you ever seen that? It was a rather mm. bizarre, um, eccentric uh, comedy. Mm. Very, very strange. Mm. Sort of funny in a way, but a, a little mm. bit odd. Mm. And also Little Britain, because yes. do you remember? Little Britain. Yeah, they used to do blackface sometimes. Yes. And particularly there was one scene, I don't know if you used to watch it. I used mm. to think it was hilarious. No. But they used to put on these fat suits. And right. there was one that character that they did, which was a woman, like a with dark skin, and she was really, really fat, and she thought she was really sexy. And it right. was a it was a just hilarious because right. it was just such a grotesque looking right. character. You right. Know? Is Maybe that, that's is offensive that, to fat people. Is it? Maybe. Wouldn't you think? Is that a humour that hasn't really any humour um, that takes the piss out of fat people? It was an edgy humour. It hasn't to be passed sure. the the you know the test of time. It was an edgy humour. It came mm. out in the nineteen nineties, I think, mm. didn't it? Little Britain. Mm. It's a little bit old now, but mm. I I thought it was pretty. 
funny at the time. In the chat room, Tony says, what if you're an Indigenous person and you disagree, you put up and shut up? Is it really so much to ask white footballers to shut up every now and again? Uh, this is referring to footballers and, I guess, uh, national anthems and stuff. Well, Tony, I don't think there should be a national anthem at the beginning of a football match. I, mm. I just think they should go out there and play. So mm. that would be my solution that, mm. um, the, that the I don't line, think they should be subjected to that either. Yeah. The line between entertainer mm. and politician is yeah. becoming very blurred, isn't it? And we mm. saw that on Q&A in that mm. episode. They had two um, – the, the black representatives were both actors. Yes, they were. Mm. So, yeah, it was interesting that there was no Indigenous politicians or activists or they, they chose two actors. Yeah. Or people from some remote community. And, know, and more, more and more I see that politicians are becoming actors. You know what I mean? Like Scott Morrison, he's, he seems to be acting out a part, you know, mm-hmm. Rather than being themselves, they're they're being a, a version of themselves that they know that people will enjoy. Well, he's acting out the daggy dad yeah. from Cronulla who enjoys exactly. his footy and his so beer that that, and, you know. that distinction between actor mm. and politician it's it's becoming blurry. I, th- mm. I think it's long been a little bit like that for a lot of politicians, though, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah, but it's going more. It's getting blurrier that as time goes by. Mm. Right. Well, let's talk about Scott Morrison. Let's let's move Scotty on to some, marketing. Let's move on to some domestic um, politics because we haven't talked about uh, anything domestic for quite a while. So, um, I've got a little subheading here called Morrison cockups and shit fuckery. Um, so, <laughs> language warning, yeah, listeners. Um, so, remember the sixty billion dollar mistake where basically Treasury said to uh, Frydenberg, "Whoops." Just done a recalculation here and uh, some of these guys when they were filling in the form uh, thought they were filling in $1,500 and were actually filling in 1,500 employees. So we thought we're going to spend a lot more money than we ended up having to spend. So good news, we've got $60 billion. That's a lot of money. That's really a lot of money. That is a huge error. It's a fleet of subs, isn't it, it, just about? It is, (laughs) indeed. Indeed. And everybody wanted to go to town on this hopeless Morrison government on that score. But I actually have some sympathy for them because ultimately... Ultimately, you're just a big softie. That's right, yeah. Um, He's winning you over. This whole ministerial responsibility (laughs) argument, of course, Frydenberg has to rely on the Treasury boffins to tally up these things and to make these estimates and, and really... You know, there's a sort of um, notion that, oh, well, you're responsible for your department and all of its ills and whatnot are your problem as well. But really, mm. he couldn't, you know, there's somebody in a such deep... such a hurry as well, yeah, wasn't it? somebody in a deep, dark dungeon adding up the figures who stuffed it up or didn't spot this error. And um, so that's really one where I, as much as I hate the Morrison government and Josh Frydenberg, say this whole idea of ministerial responsibility for everything done in your department... Mm. which might be three or four levels down that you've got no involvement for at all, it's just a load of nonsense. So, mm. um, so I, I give him a free pass on that, on that mistake. Um, Usually there's checks and balances and he would be responsible for putting those checks and balances in place to make sure that a, <clears throat> an error like mm. that doesn't happen. But I imagine with the haste that mm. which this was pushed through that some of those checks and balances were just pushed to one side. And yes. 
So yeah. if, if it had been done over the period of six or 12 months, like a normal policy spend like that would have been done, it would have been picked up. But yeah, yeah. It, it happened in a matter of weeks, didn't it? Yeah. But, of course, it makes it really difficult for them to say now, well, we can't afford to extend these programs because we don't have the money. But hang on a minute, you were willing to spend that money before, so you do actually have it. So mm. that puts them in a tough spot. Um, uh, the Home the, the home Builder Grant is the current one that really gets me. It's so terrible. This is one where the government is going to give homeowners $25,000 towards the cost of either building a home or a big home renovation. In order to get it, you've got to spend between um, $150,000 and $750,000 either building or renovating a home. And there's a bit of an income test. Owner occupiers with incomes below $125,000 for singles and below $200,000 for couples. Don't get it? They do get it. So you could be a couple earning $99,000 each. And going to do a renovation worth one hundred and twenty-five thousand, and the government's going to give you twenty-five thousand dollars. Now, here's the thing: is you, in order to qualify, um, you have to sign a contract with a builder by the end of the year. Now, by the end of this year, yes, yeah. So there's going to be only six months left. There's going to be a whole bunch of people who were planning to do this anyway who are well underway, who have made the decision, going to spend the money which will flow through the economy, and now they're just being handed $25,000 just as a free gift. It's ridiculous, isn't it? And, and then the idea is this will incentivise people to get more builders and work done. But you've got to be pretty advanced with your decision-making mm. in order to get a contract signed before the end of the year. Indeed. And... You've spent all the money on all the projects that people were already committed to, all that free money that you've given away before you get a benefit for the for the dribble of extra ones that might come in afterwards who actually go, oh, well, I wouldn't have done it otherwise, but because of this incentive, okay, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And I'll do it and I wouldn't have done it next year. Like how many would that be? Yeah. What, it's, Not a significant proportion. It's just a classic case of middle-class welfare yep. for homeowners. Homeowners are already um, – we talk about privilege. Yep. Mm. That's a privileged class. Yep. Um, more money for them. So um, At least they don't have to be white. Yeah. Indeed. There's going to be some good man caves getting about. Yeah. Well, it, it, what it's going to mean is that people who have already committed something are rubbing their hands together and going, oh, great. Yeah. Hey, good news, Dale. It's just we're going to get a check for twenty five thousand dollars. Free money to people oh. who are already getting by, yes. not too badly. Yes, mm. and all the people who are struggling, no chance of accessing it. Where's all the talk? You don't it's hear anything about. It's copped a lot of criticism. Has it? Yeah. I haven't read much about it in yeah. terms of criticism. You have? Yeah. Oh, I okay. Have, yeah. All right. Deserves it. I think. Right. This is one of the problems. There's so much going on in the world that some of these mm. sorts of things can slip through. Yeah. But why cut it off at the end of this year? I don't know. I mean, if he wants to, you know, stimulate the building right. business by right. putting money into it, why cut it off at the end of this year? That's right. just too narrow a time frame, isn't right. it? Right, right. Um, Paul in the chat room says, Trev, what's the time delay on your comments set? Um, 
Paul, I don't know, but let's do a little test. Um, uh, let's start a timer, somebody, and you, and then you comment. Hang on, you're going to start a timer, and um, hang and on, just don't say anything yet, um, Paul, in the hang chat on, room. Paul. And for the time, there's a stop which is about to start. It's about and, to start, and, and, and comment, comment now, please. Okay, there we go. So we'll see what the delay is when your thing appears. All right, Wheat Watcher reckons it's about 20 seconds. Um, it's pretty quick. So there we go. Paul, I can see you now. It's probably 14 seconds. 14 seconds. There you go. It's, it's not easy, Paul, to get to all the comments as they're coming through. I'm doing my best. It's not, it's not easy. What else have we got with Scott Morrison? Oh, this National COVID-19 Coordination Commission. Mm. So what did he do? He said, oh, I'm going to get a group of... CEOs together who will work out plans for how we can reinvigorate the economy. I'm going to pay them some money, fees. Some money? Yes. Good fees. Get them all together. Truckloads of money. Various government departments and entities are going to report to them and uh, they haven't come out with anything official yet, but the first leaked draft report, it seems that their first suggestion is... This is a group stacked with um, mining, executives. mining executives and their first suggestion is that the government should spend lots of money on infrastructure for mining. What, <laughs> what <Yeah>. a surprise. <laughs> we're, cop- we're copying it. We're copying this. Did not see that coming. No. Where, where is the uproar of this? <laughs> like this is ridiculous that this could possibly happen, but it is, and nobody cares. You could walk down the street and say, have you heard about this commission with this Nev Power character? And, and, and what's so his nine, connection with COVID-19 anyway? Nothing. And his connection with businesses, he's, you know, he's been in charge of a mining group. But, mm. you know, a bit like what we were saying earlier, uh, his identity is <laughs> as, a, as a mining executive. That doesn't make you an expert on all things of the economy and how to kickstart Australia after a pandemic. Mm. Is Hillsong's Brian Houston on that uh, committee? I don't know. But You um, wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) And and supposedly they've declared their conflicts of interest in a private register, which we never get to see. Mm. And they're supposedly, you know, um, being cognizant of any sort of conflicts that they might have. But this is the whole point of a public service. You have a public service where Mm. people don't have a conflict, they're independent, at least they don't have skin in the game, they can make decisions not because of potential benefits, one would hope. So Mm. We could do it, Scotty, if you're listening. Yeah. Uh, What else did he do? Um, COAG, so it used to be the Premier's Conference, he scrapped and said... Sorry, before you go on, I think it's worth mentioning the amount of money that that guy's going to be paid... And apparently it was listed as to cover his expenses. Travel right. expenses. Like, you know. Quarter of a million dollars. Motels and. $267,345. Right. <laughs> that guy travels pretty uh, luxuriously. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, also, he's going to um, scrap um, the Council of Australian Governments. So previously that was the Premier's getting together once a year and for a meeting and then he's going to continue with this National Cabinet meeting. And he says, with a specific focus of creating jobs, 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 it's going to be all about jobs. If I was the Premier, I would say, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want my old coag back. 
Because we're going to talk more about more than just jobs. Yes. The world is There's not whole, just about jobs. A whole range of issues they need to discuss. Yeah. So I don't care about your national cabinet. It's just going to talk about jobs. Well, the the national to... jobs cabinet. Yes. Just rename it. Yeah. <laughs> Gets away with murder again. Um, Why aren't the premiers challenging him on that? Does he get to decide? They're not brave enough to tell a story to the public and say, I'm more concerned with other things, not just jobs. There are other topics on my agenda. I don't think, mm. I don't know. Maybe they can't break through as well as, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I looked at it and I just thought, you could be kidding. That's Reason what I do. to be suspicious for sure. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's one good thing, though, that I did see. Did you see him having his press conference? And there's a video of it. This is oh, great. yeah. It's Scott, awesome. Scott Morrison's having a press conference. Get off my lawn. And the, the, oh, the yes, media um, scrum has kind of edged its way off the footpath <laughs> and onto this guy's lawn. And Scott Morrison starts talking in his press conference, blah, 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 blah. And this guy calls out from his patio, hey, you lot, <laughs> you're on my lawn. Can you move on? I've, I've just seeded my That's lawn. That's right, yes. <laughs> and Morrison. No trampling. Uh, Morris go, oh, sorry, mate. Hey, come on, everyone. Let's get off the guy's lawn. <laughs> to me, that was the most Australian thing you will ever see. Like, it just I could imagine happen. you doing that, Trevor, if well, Scott Morrison rocked up. Well, I just, he, the front he will get a lot of brownie points for that he, because he, it makes him look like an authentic, authentic Aussie dad. You know, Ooh, it might have been a setup. Yeah, the lawn setup. would be a clever setup. It's mm. too, that's too clever. But, <laughs> yeah. but as a marketing exercise, <laughs> yes. that was just funny. I mean, can you imagine another country in the world where? Your average yes. Joe yells out to the Prime Minister, you get off my lawn, I just seated it. And the, and the Prime Minister goes, oh, genuinely, oh, sorry, mate, come on, everyone, just come forward a bit. Like, that's the guy's lawn after all. <laughs> well, the lawn is sacred in Australia, yes, after all. Yeah. It's a yeah. sacred site. You haven't seen mine, obviously. You come at night time. <laughs> recently. It's, it's, no, it's not in a good condition. Uh, so I thought that was funny. Um, Paul Waper says that was in Murrumbatum near Canberra. Mm. Right. Um, um, conspiracy theories. Oh, I love conspiracy theories. What's your favourite? My favourite is 4% of US adults believe the world is controlled by reptilian overlords. Mm. 4%, isn't it? 4%. That's quite a lot of Americans. That is a lot. That's 12.5 million Americans. Gosh. Not just overlords, mm. reptilian yep. overlords. It's very specific. <laughs> mm. Yeah. They're, they're big lizards. Yeah. Did you and ever see that world. science fiction TV series? It must have come out in the 1990s, I think. And it was about that. It was about the reptilian overlords. And every now and then they would sort of peel their faces off. Right. And they were like big lizards. Well, that's where they there. get this idea from. Exactly. <laughs> yes. yes. I wonder what would it take to start yeah. a conspiracy theory. Was Could it? we start one? Yeah, was Could we plant a seed? Oh, I don't try. Yeah, you know, I really. I was talking to my daughter about this before about conspiracy theories, and I really hate them because it's a really, it's a view of the world where you think that there's. Because she was talking about the um, are there people who have discovered a cure for cancer who have not released it because oh, yeah. they're making money from big pharma? Cancer. Yeah, yep. And I was like, the what you're really suggesting is that there's a group of people who have the knowledge who are consciously deciding not to do it. Like so many people, conspiracy theories necessarily involve a number of people who are all agreeing together to do a really nasty thing mm. 
it's a really grim view of human nature that you could get mm. 20, 30, 50, 100 people who would all agree to such a horrible sort of concept. I just think if you can believe in a conspiracy theory, you've got a really grim, dark view mm. of the world. That's what's the part I don't like about conspiracy theorists are not just nutty, they're actually a really they're kind of paranoid. Paranoid yeah. and, yeah, and a nasty yeah. view of human nature. That I they often think- wonder if it's got something to do with uh, modern drug use. Right. Because a lot of your sort of modern drugs create, create paranoia. paranoia. Yeah, it could be. So, you know, people getting drugged up, they think up these outlandish ideas and mm. then when they come out of their drugged up state, that sort of sticks in their head somehow. Mm. I don't know. Could be. Just getting back to uh, conspiracy theories, Bill Gates. So there was a survey from Yahoo <laughs> News of Americans and over 40% of Republicans think Bill Gates will use COVID-19 vaccine to implant tracking microchips. <laughs> that was alarming, over 40%. I think it was 44%. Yeah. The more alarming statistic for me was that it was 28% of all US adults, Yeah. regardless of which way they voted. Yeah. It's bizarre. Nearly a third. Yeah. Implant tracking microchips. Bill yeah. Gates. Yeah. Poor Bill Gates. He's thirty two percent of US adults don't know or not sure and forty percent say false. I, I I think I posted this on the Facebook page and you did. I was commenting with somebody and they said, Oh the really alarming figure is the not sure category and I thought to myself, well Maybe there's a significant number of people who just don't know who Bill Gates is. I, I don't know. Maybe like mm. Dean Stretton said, well, the, not, the don't know category isn't so bad because maybe people just don't know who know, know anything about anything and just say, oh, I don't know. So mm. maybe the don't know figure is not so bad. But, yeah, so that's from Yahoo News. I don't know how many people were surveyed as part of that. And you think to yourself... Those crazy Americans, lucky that doesn't happen here. <laughs> yeah. Hang on a minute. And then you come across Hold another. Right there. Yeah. And then you come across another um, poll done in Australia. And by the looks of it, I think this one might have been a essential poll. I'm not sure. I've got it here in front of me. But um, uh, there's a question to Australians. I think it was essential poll. Here are some things people have been saying about COVID-19. They are all things that some people say are true and others say aren't true. To what extent do you believe that each of the following to be true or false? And one of the statements is, Bill Gates played a role in the creation and spread of COVID-19. And this is Australia, and 13% said true. (laughs) Come on, Australia. You're better than that. (laughs) 71% said false. Uh, 15% don't know. And in the trues, it was 4% was definitely true <laughs> and 9% were probably true, which made up the 13%. Mm. So um, uh, also that uh, the COVID-19 virus is not dangerous and is being used to force people to get vaccines. Again, 13% mm-hmm. thought that was true. Actually, I might put this up on the, um, yeah, do on the screen for the So we can safely this. say at least... So. 13% of Australians got a screw loose well, upstairs, haven't they? Well, well, they know more than we know. <laughs> and also... Um, and they vote. Yeah. Yes. Their vote counts as much as yours, yeah. Paul. 
And the other one in it was um, the 5G wireless network is being used to spread the COVID-19 virus. Oh, that was only 12%. On it's pretty one. close. Probably so, the same group. Yeah. You would think it's the same group mm. of people. So that's pretty alarming that um, 13% say definitely true or probably true mm. that Bill Gates played a role in the creation spread mm. of COVID-19. Is it just an extension of superstitious thinking? Somehow, is it somehow linked to that? Because we're seeing a drop in religious religiosity. Is that, did I pronounce that correctly? Religiosity. Religiosity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the people that are opting out of religions are taking up some other wacky sort of superstition, aren't they? Uh, spiritualism, Spirit- often. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a, so yeah. that percentage of the yes. population that... yeah. I'm inclined to think there's a bit of an overlap. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily think they were all the same people, but there is a bit of an overlap. Well, in America where it's a highly religious society, even more people think these crazy things. Yes, mm. good so, point. There we go. Yeah, what causes that? And wouldn't you like to be able to mm. identify them and Do you remember revoke their right to vote? Right, some weeks ago. <laughs> I sent you a um, a link to a video of an Australian guy who's a basically a herbalist. Uh, Do you remember I, that one? I, I don't know. That he's I've based heard. in Sydney. I won't mention his name to avoid litigation, okay. but mm. he's based in Sydney and has a business selling um, basically magic potions made by immersing Australian bush plants in water and sunlight. Right. And then he bottles it. Right. And he sells it to mugs who pay him, I don't know how much money, for these bottles of magic water. Right. Mm. And he made a video uh, about the uh, 5G conspiracy. Okay. And he was claiming that it was dead set real. Right. And I, so I, the people who buy the magic water, yes. uh, he, he seems to think would also be interested in the 5G conspiracy theory. Mm. So there you go. There is a bit of overlap there, I would say. I would it's say entertaining so. in a way though, isn't it? <laughs> No, it's depressing. It would be if it was a TV <laughs> show, but it's for real, Warren. <laughs> I saw one recently. There's a group of people who have started um, taking their pants off, Ooh. laying on their backs, mm-hmm. and presenting their anuses towards the sun. Say so what? <laughs> and it gives them some sort of special power. Oh, right. Letting okay. the direct sunlight hit their anuses. Right. Hey. Yeah, it, there's YouTube the, clips letting of Letting the sun Do shine where it's flavor. not supposed to shine. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's very energising apparently. Right. No. Have I, you I, tried it? No. <laughs> of course I have. You were up at Noosa today, <laughs> weren't you? You had a perfect opportunity. More testing required. That's all I'm going to say. I reckon there's a lot of people in required. Noosa do that sort of stuff. Probably. There were, um, there were a lot of people attended the protest for the anti-vaccination sort of stuff. Mm. This happened sort of before the, um, the George Floyd and the incarceration protests kicked off. Just before mm. then, there was some sort of uh, anti-vaccination protesters. Mm. And In Australia? Hundreds, yes. Oh. So they had hundreds of them turned up. So... Like it was way more than we could get for an anti-religious, you know, against the religious discrimination bill. Yeah, uh, and you looked at it and thought, "Oh my God, we struggled to get." How many do we have there? About two or three hundred. Yeah, and um, they seem to have way more than that for their crazy five yeah. G nutbag theory. So hmm. it's depressing, I think. Mm. If I could put a plug in for another 
podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as smart as you think you are. Right. Have you heard of that podcast? I have heard of it. Yeah, he he does a really he's he's done a really good podcast on conspiracy theories. Right. Yeah. Okay. Have, have a listen to that yeah. one. What's it called? Uh, not as smart as you think you are. Right. In the yeah. chat room, I'm looking for new podcasts because I don't find many. Other than this okay. fine podcast, there's not many good ones out there. So if you've this got a recommendation, you need, really. yeah, if you've got a recommendation for a podcast, I'd like to hear it. Mm. Um, oh, look, we're kind of getting up to time here. Um, I, I think I saw something where Jeff Bezos was potentially getting close to becoming a trillionaire. I didn't look at the figures, but I. That's, trillionaire. Yeah, yes. He's a bit of a tryhard, isn't he, that Jeff Bezos? That's You see an Amazon is opening in, uh, a warehouse is opening in Brisbane. Brisbane, yeah. Uh, just the number of mum and dad businesses that are falling over due to this mm. pandemic and the rise of Amazon, um, uh, it's worrying what's... Trevor. Yeah. Mm. Anastasia Palaszczuk said it's going to create 200 jobs. Did, did she? She did. It's going to create jobs. jobs. Did she really? It's good for Brisbane and Queensland. 200. It's going to create jobs. And did you say how many jobs it was going to kill <laughs> Destroy. off? That's details. Don't, don't think about that. Well, and there's a quality of job. There's a shit job and there's a good job. And mm-hmm. working as a picker in an Amazon factory, that's a shit job. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it looks like he's getting close to that. Let's hope he does mm. <clears throat> good things with that money. Now, we've got to be very careful on this one, litigation, defamation, warning, gentlemen. Be very careful what you say okay. on this one. Clive warning Palmer. Noted. Mm, Clive Palmer. So Clive Palmer's mm. a bit like, uh, who is that radio guy? Alan Jones. Down the, you know, if we're going to start talking about these guys, yeah. uh, careful with I our words. i just turn my microphone off. <laughs> yeah, do that. So um, um, there was a thing I saw in the paper where uh, the leader of the opposition in Queensland uh, has been under pressure from the backroom boys in the sort of party headquarters who are trying to oust mm. her out is the allegation. Mm. And there was an article in the paper which um, said that an uncomfortable number of of higher-up people in the Liberal Party sort Campbell of administration... Newman is one of them? Is that right? No, he's one, he's, of, the... uh, he's one of the high-up who's accused of sort of plotting. Yeah. Uh, he's denied sort of plotting, but... What I'm getting at is the number who have got some sort of financial connection to Clive Palmer yeah. and in that they're either, um, well, there's LMP President Dave Hutchinson, who it is said works for Palmer as a property consultant, the LMP founder and past president Bruce McIver, who is a director of Palmer's Palmer Leisure Australia company, and there's LNP State Executive Member Malcolm Cole, who works for SAS Group, which provides communication services for Palmer, and Federal Nationals President Larry Anthony, owner of SAS Group, which provides communication services for Palmer. So there's an uncomfortable number of people who have some sort of financial relationship, it seems, with Clive Palmer. One, one is an uncomfortable number mm. of people. So, wasn't Clive Palmer formerly a member mm, of the LNP? Uh, I think so. He yes. had a falling out with Campbell Newman, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. So, when Campbell Newman got elected, he 
uh, walked into Campbell's office and said, great, congratulations. Now I want you to do this and do that. Approve my mine in the Galilee Basin. Or it might have been a railway line or something like that. I think it was his, um, yeah, a a Adani mine. The allegation is that he walked into Campbell Newman's uh, office and sought uh, certain things to be done with an expectation that it would be done because he... Uh, knew them and that they would want to do this and that there was sort of pushback from Campbell Newman to say, oh, not so fast, mm. and he wasn't so happy about that and then created his Palmer United Party yeah. as a result of that sort the of... falling out. Yeah, as a result Allegedly. of all that. Yes. All of those caveats there. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's interesting to see the, what's the, going on The there. impact of uh, money on politics is is worrying isn't it it's mm. getting worse well you've said to me before what's the problem with billionaires and whatever mm. and i've said they're too powerful is yeah. a problem that it's chicken feed it's the, for it's them it's the political power that that yeah. money buys so i have a big problem with that yeah so we're moving on from clive palmer mm. uh, you know put a line on that we're just talking yeah. billionaires in general now yeah um they've got too much power to yeah. buy or well, the influence. ability the, to yes. get power yes yeah, because uh, I don't know what the solution is, but we, we I, I you've to... spoken at length on this mm. podcast about the effect of you know religion in politics. Mm. Mm. I think the the impact of money uh, just as big, yeah, absolutely, or, or worse even. Yes, and and it's sort of and getting worse, but they're tied together because money. Uh, thinking of the American example. Basically, money hitched itself to the evangelical movement because mm. Mm. it needed boots on the ground and people pre- in pre-selection and and that sort of thing. And basically, money and corporate interests wanted tax um, rates down, and they wanted red tape out of the way, and they wanted a free, a, you know, a free for all in terms of. Um, access to the market, and they basically said to the evangelicals, we'll give you your moral things that you want in terms of we'll push back against abortion laws, we'll put these conservative judges in place, we'll give you all that stuff that Gay we don't care about. Sort of stuff, yep. So you can have all those sort of moral issues provided mm. you back us up on the, um, on the money issues mm. and we'll back you up on the moral issues if you, yeah. So that was a sort of, that's how that panned out and, that's how it will pan out here as well, because that's how yeah we follow, uh, we just their, follow lead. their lead. They yep. both start with M, and they're both five-letter words. Right, money and money, moral. All oh, right, thank you. Yeah, to go hand in hand. So, um, what's the solution? Uh, the solution is um, a situation that's so horrendous, and everybody in such a bad way that they finally wake up and say, "We can't do this anymore. We need to drastically change the system." Mm. But while it's not too bad, and we're all not too bad, then there's no change. Like people won't be motivated enough to change. This is the problem that that um, that the religious groups are so motivated they can get. 500 Mormons to attend at a branch somewhere. I can say, be there at this time and yep. keep an eye on your phone because a text message will come which will tell you how to vote. Do it mm, and yes. they'll do it. Um, a small number of highly motivated people can take control and people are not motivated enough because we're okay sort of mm. really. We need to gather the, 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 the atheist mob. Mm. 
Yeah, secular impossible. atheist mob. Impossible. Yes. Yeah. I think uh, a cap on advertising, that political be, advertising. Well, like, no, should be no donations. Like, like no, no donations. Fifty bucks maximum. Only donations from individuals. And fifty bucks maximum. Yep. You know, because a, a, why are you making a donation if not to get a favour back of mm. some sort, some influence, time, favour? And that donation, so, they use that to yeah. buy advertising space. Yeah. I would so go further. I think, mm. you know, most people have got access to the internet. If you want to advertise what your political party is all about, put it on your website. Yeah. You know, you can't spend two billion dollars. On a website, can you? And a two billion dollar website is going to be no more effective than a two million dollar. That would be sending website. Apple laptops out mm. to potential voters in the mail, wouldn't it? With two billion dollars, but mm. so that they could look at your website. But I would go further. I would ban don- political donations completely yes. and legislate. Well, it's not really for, necessary, is it's it? It's not. Because advertising on the internet is so cheap, yeah. mm. and legislate for the you know for the state to actually provide a set amount yes. to each candidate, just each registered candidate. Mm. What could be, be what could be fairer? It sounds like a pretty simple solution. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, maybe should, it's too simple. Yeah. The other one, just getting back to billionaires, I reckon we should just say to billionaires: once you hit a billion. Congratulations, you've won. You've reached, you've, you've reached the finish line. A billion, yeah. And at this point onwards, uh, there's no point. Um, we're just going to take everything. So um, th- congratulations. You can just sit back and relax now because the, the game's <laughs> over, the race is finished, and, um, and really you don't need anything beyond this. You're just becoming way too dangerous. We should just say a billion dollars, that's it, and mm. um, see you later. You would yeah. only create... A wealth tax. Yeah, well, do you, you only create incentives for dishonesty, Trevor, when you do that, you know, because people would just hide it. Of course they would, but wouldn't it be fun to track it down? <laughs> Good luck. And, and to some extent you can't hide it. Like if you own a mine in Australia and it is worth $2 billion and you own the whole thing, well, yeah. it's right there in front of you. Uh, I saw a movie about Scots people mm. the other night. The Scott's accountant. People. Have Scott's you ever people. seen that movie, The Accountant? I did see that. Yeah, that's nothing to do with Scott. Yeah. And the guy, this guy had this trailer full of, you know, gold bullion and, right. you know, cash and all sorts of uh, expensive, you know, original paintings and yeah. stuff. He was some sort of crazy hitman or something. Yeah, like he, he was an amazing hitman. Mm. He was an amazing fighter. But anyway. Back to Bezos. Mm. He just yes. went through a divorce. Just keep that in mind. Yes. Lost a significant amount of his wealth. Yeah. So, and he's still going to become a trillionaire. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you made the point, didn't you, that he just works 120 billion times harder than anybody no, else? No, I don't. I didn't make that point. <laughs> Who made that point? Mm-hmm. I, I saw that somewhere notes. in, the, in the, the show notes. notes. Someone, I don't know. someone tweeted it. Anyway, we're getting to the end of it now, I think. Mm. Um, unless anybody had something really pressing they wanted to say, I'm going to call Nothing time on this me. one. No, so Did um, we offend anyone tonight? I don't know. I think we might have offended Paul if he gets back to the first 10 minutes. He got in late again <laughs> and said things. So, um, Just choose not to be offended, Paul. Yeah. Um, it's that easy. All right. Next week, keep an eye out on Facebook. If uh, you're not already... Um, hit the like button or the follow button or whatever on Facebook so that you see any messages. I might be doing this on a Monday night. I might be just recording audio. I might not do anything. I don't know. So 
but we'll definitely be back the week after that. So why don't um, you do a uh, a light entertainment show instead? You know, right. a bit of song, a bit of dance, right? Display some right. of your paintings. <laughs> Blackface? Maybe. Yeah, in blackface. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. All right. Thank you out there, dear listeners. Um, you might hear from me on Monday. Not sure. If not, definitely the following Tuesday. Uh, we'll see you then. Okay. Bye for now. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said and when you're talking to your friends say hey I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to and maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out the other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just It'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event... You can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation, so you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.